when the extraordinary starts to become ordinary. There was a day in the Galilean countryside when Jesus was out teaching and there was all these crowds that had gathered around him as he was teaching. In fact, Luke tells us in his gospel that they were so large that they began to trample one another. And so there's these large crowds that had gathered around him. And as Jesus is teaching them, someone yells out from the crowd to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, it's one of those Maybe he was heckler guy, or maybe he was really upset about his brother having all the inheritance, and he didn't have any of it. But anyway, he interrupted Jesus as he was teaching, and he, and he yells for him, tell my brother that he needs to divide the inheritance with me. And so Jesus begins to teach them this parable that Luke records in Luke chapter 12, and verse 16. He tells them a parable, a rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus begins to teach them these parables. And this sort of teaching was was wild to these audiences. I mean, what is Jesus even talking about that he would teach them a parable like this? I mean, what else would you do if you had this enormous amount of crops except for keep it all for yourself? I mean, what else would you do? You would build bigger barns and store all your stuff and and coast at the end of your life. That's what the man said that he ought to do. But Jesus was teaching them something very different, a much different sort of perspective when it came to their possessions. I mean, why would you think about doing something like give things away to other people? But that's what Jesus was describing to them. Why would you live life like that? That was the sticking point for another encounter that Jesus had with a rich young man. And he was asking Jesus how he would have eternal life. And Jesus knew what the idol was in his life, which was all of his possessions. So so he tells him he needs to give them all away and then come follow after him. And the young man went away sad because he had many possessions. It was, he was unwilling to part with these things in order to follow after the Lord. It was the same sticking point. But Jesus is showing them how love and how giving and how generosity works in his kingdom. And if you fast forward a couple of years, Jesus is been crucified and resurrected and ascended to be with the Father, and the New Testament church has been birthed, and now they're all gathering together, and they're figuring out how they're supposed to to be the church. And as we've read, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, teachings like this parable that Jesus told one day in the Galilean countryside about a rich man that had a great crop and decided to build bigger barns for himself. Teachings like 
an interaction that Jesus had with a rich young ruler one day when he was telling him about giving away his things in order to follow after Christ. And this group of new believers began to live together and to care for one another in a way that was highly unusual. It was so unusual that it even rose to take the notice of the Roman Emperor Julian, who remarked, complaining one day about the charity of these Christians to the poor. And he said, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well, welcoming them into their agape. You know you're doing something when the Roman emperor begins to take notice of how you're doing church together. There was something strange, something different about how this group gave. They were generous. But the question that we've been asking all through this series, that through Acts chapter 2 is, what if that is supposed to be ordinary? What if what we see them doing isn't supposed to be some weird oddball thing? What if how they interacted with one another is supposed to be normal in the Lord's church? If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word. If you're able, we're going to be continuing through Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Today's sermon is entitled, Generosity is Ordinary. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the word of God says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. What happens if the extraordinary becomes ordinary? Today as we study through this passage of scripture focusing on generosity being ordinary, the action step for today, as you're hearing this message, the action step for us today is to generously support the mission of God. To generously support the mission of God. And if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to have a proper biblical perspective of our possessions. And so as we work through these verses, we're going to focus today on verses 44 and 45. We're going to see that our possessions are a resource for the kingdom of God. And that our, res- that our possessions are a blessing to others. And so we begin with our possessions as a resource for the kingdom. In verse 44, the Bible says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. It says that they were together. You cannot miss these words as you're reading through verses 41 through 47. This together, all together, in one, as one. I mean, it's repeated all the way through there. And you you cannot overstate that. 
emphasis in this New Testament church, that they were together. They were united in purpose and in mission. And they had as their aim to serve the Lord and to proclaim his good news to the lost. And when you look at this group, they were not divided. They were not distracted. They were not disinterested. They were not discouraged. What you see is that they were all in on this mission. And it means that they were all in even with everything that they had. They viewed their possessions as a resource for the kingdom of God. The things that they owned were for the Lord. The things that they were skilled at were for the Lord. The intellect that they had was for the Lord. They were resources to be used for God in his kingdom. And this sort of mindset is quite different from our world. The world says you need to work and you need to get yours. And you need to get as much of it as you can because you want to live comfortably. It's a lot like the mindset of that man in that parable. We see the mindset all around us. And if we're honest, we sort of participate in the mindset perhaps at times as well. It's all centered on self and on you. But the mindset of the Christian is that everything that I have is a gift from God. And he has called me to be a steward of these things. So how can I use what he has entrusted to me to further his kingdom? That's the mindset that you see among this group of people. That it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. John understood. He wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. That's a totally different perspective about possessions than we encounter day by day. But the issue is that for many people, their identity is wrapped up in their possessions. They find worth and they find fulfillment in what kind of car they drive. They find worth in what kind of house they live in. They find worth in what brand of clothes they wear. And the more that they have, the better that they are, the more important that they are. But as a Christian, our worth is not found in the clothes we wear. It's in the righteousness of Christ that we wear. And that changes how we view what we have. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he told them, Jesus says, Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. But is that not what we're told every day? That your life is in the abundance of your possessions. But Jesus says, no, your life is not in the abundance of your possessions. That's not our life. Jesus is. 
Andrew Murray said, the world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? And as Christians, we have to remember that things are just things. Things are just things. One author writes that the belongings that people accumulate throughout their lives will always own them. People seem to think if they had more, they'd be happier or freer, but their possessions only chain them to the earth. What if we weren't so chained to the earth? Some statistics about how Americans use money are pretty alarming. As Americans, we save negative 0.5% a year. In other words, we don't save. We go into debt. As a, as a collective nation, we save negative 0.5% a year. Americans spend on average almost $1.50 for every dollar that they earn. And 71% of all credit card balances in the United States have only the minimum monthly payments made. And so we just stay in a cycle of debt. And what that shows us is that as a nation, we're mastered by our money. Jesus said you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. And for many of us, the statistics show that we've chosen which one we're going to serve. But what if you drove an older car so that you could give more? Or what if you didn't max out your credit? Or what if you didn't buy the very most expensive house that you could afford so that you could give more? If these questions are making you uncomfortable, or if I'm sounding crazy right now, if this sort of thing is really hard for you, it might be an indication that you've got the wrong perspective about possessions. In fact, it sounds a lot like that young man in Scripture that Jesus talked to one day in Matthew 19 and 21 where he says, Go sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow after me. And when the young man heard his statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. But what if we weren't so worried about our possessions on this earth, and instead we were rich toward God? So what does it look like? For us to view our possessions as a resource for the kingdom. One of our church's values is to put your money where your mission is. It's on the wall out there in the atrium. You see it every Sunday when you're here. To put your money where your mission is. That we would give generously to support the mission of the church. And I want you to know that the easiest, most consistent way is to tithe through your local church. The easiest, most consistent way to do it. And what the Bible teaches us is that a tithe is 10% of what you earn that you would give to the Lord. It's giving of the first fruits and then trusting the Lord to provide for you. And if you're a member of our church, here's the great thing. You get to vote on how that money's used. You build the budget on our budget team. And putting your money into the ministries and the mission of the church locally and globally is putting your money where your mission is. 
But it's amazing how few Christians follow this plain scriptural command to give and to tithe and to be obedient. There are a lot of people who tip throughout the year. But tithing is the spiritual discipline of giving to the Lord. And statistics would show us that less than 3% of all Christians tithe. I mean, this is just a very plain biblical um, teaching. Is that if you're disobedient in areas of your life, God doesn't bless it. I mean, we know that if, like, if, if I were murdering people, I wouldn't expect God to bless that, right? If I were lying all the time, I wouldn't expect God to bless that. If I were stealing all the time, I wouldn't expect God to bless that. But when we don't do what God told us to do and tithe and give, and then we expect him to bless our churches, that's silly. Statistics say that Americans give 2.2% of their disposable income, which is less than they gave during the Great Depression. So currently, as, as, as the church, we give a lesser percentage than Christians gave during the Great Depression. And so it's not a matter of I, if I had more than I would give. We certainly have more than they had during the Great Depression. It's about hearts that are willing to give of what we have. To be obedient. But even above tithing, the Bible talks about giving offerings to support the kingdom work. It's Christians who would say, God has blessed me greatly and I want to use that to support his church. I want to use it to support North American missions. I want to use it to support international missions. I want to use it to support missions in our city. I want to use it to support a building campaign at our church to make needed improvements around our facilities. You're going to have that opportunity in the near future because we have some very, very needed improvements that we need to make. But when they talk about having everything in common and using their possession, it's more than just financial resources. It's, it's, it also means using the knowledge and the skills that God has given you to serve him in the church. It's using the business knowledge and experience that you have to serve on a finance committee. It's using the love for children that God put in your heart to serve in the Wallace Kids Ministry. It's using that testimony of God's work in your life to serve with our new Celebrate Recovery ministry. And so in, in order for us to be willing to do that, we have to view all of our possessions as a resource for the kingdom. And what we see in this church is that's pretty ordinary. The second thing that we see in the passage is that possessions are to be a blessing to others. If you go on to verse 45, look at what they did. It says, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, there's a lot of questions about what exactly was going on here in the New Testament church. And a lot of people sort of twist it to try to feed, uh, to, to fill whatever uh, agenda they're trying to, to pass. And I would say that when you look at this, it's, it's not communism. They had private property there in the New Testament church. It wasn't communal living or, or anything like that. 
It wasn't socialism because they weren't forced to give because some had more than others and trying to level out the playing field. That, that's not what was happening here. In fact, as you go on into Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, you had the story about Ananias and Sapphira who saw everybody giving. They said, well, we want to do that too, but, but not really. <laughs> and so they, they sold their stuff and, and they, they held back some of it. Uh, of the proceeds of the things that they sold, but they, they, they presented it like they were giving all of it to the disciples. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Listen to what he says. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? So why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people but to God. And what you see here in this, in this interaction between Peter and Ananias is that this wasn't something that he had to do. He could have, he says, wasn't well, it at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted to do with it, but, but you lied about it. That was the problem. And so what we see here in this New Testament church is that they gave for a far more compelling reason than some sort of political climate. They gave because of the generosity of God in their lives. They were generous because he is generous. They gave freely and not under compulsion. They gave because they wanted their possessions to be a blessing to others. And this New Testament church understood that an integral part of being a follower of Jesus is to give. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the Bible says, In every way I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. These are the things that they remember Jesus saying that were, that were guidelines, that were, that were pointing them and how they viewed their possessions. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what should we do? Give. They would remember Old Testament passages like Proverbs eleven twenty four, where it says one person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. And these were the things that guided them. As one preacher says, God doesn't bless stingy. And so when you view your possessions as an opportunity to bless others, you see God work in incredible ways. But does it ever cross our minds that we are blessed so that we can bless others? That we have been given much so that we can give much? Or are we sort of like that man who just decided, I'm going to build bigger barns? <laughs> We think, I have more now. Big screen TVs, season tickets, new car, shopping spree, whatever floats your boat, fill in the blank. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. Those were the words of King Solomon, who was one of the wealthiest men who's ever lived on the face of the earth. And so I'm going to trust that if anybody would know, it would be him. 
right? He, he probably knows a lot better than I do or you do about the vanity of chasing after wealth. So instead of thinking I have more so that I can have more, what if we said I have more so that I can bless more? Instead of building bigger barns, what if we were a bigger blessing? That's what we see happening in this New Testament church. And so what does that look like for us today to, to view our possessions as a blessing to others? It looks like helping pay a bill for a church member that's struggling. It's helping to train someone with knowledge and skills so that they can get a good job. It's providing food so that they have something to eat. It's helping a widow in her time of distress. Just a couple of weeks ago, Mike Eubanks, a member on our Cumberland campus, gave away a camper to someone that lost their homes in the floods at Waverly. He saw the story of what had happened. He saw all these people that had lost their homes, lost everything. And he says, I've got this camper, and we're going to give it away to them. And as Chad Crawford, our Cumberland pastor, Jared Morgan, who uh, is one of our pastors here on this campus, are from Waverly. They went there. They were distributing all these gift cards that our church had given to, to, to give to the people there. And they met this man in his new camper. And everywhere they went around town, people kept saying, so this couple in Knoxville just gave away their camper to this man that they didn't know? That's a really nice camper. I mean, everybody in town said, that's extraordinary. That's weird. That's stupid. But what if that's supposed to be ordinary? First John chapter 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? So where did this understanding of giving come from for them? It came from their teacher, Jesus. Because he was always giving of himself to help people that were in need around him. And in fact, he gave his own life for our greatest need. John chapter 3, verse 16 says that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so in this greatest act of love in history, Jesus gave himself on the cross. And he died there for his creation that had turned from him and went their own way. He sacrificed himself so that we could have forgiveness for our sins, so that we could have abundant life, so that we could have eternal life with him. He gave. And so when it came time for them to give, they were absolutely willing to give. I mean, how could they not give for the kingdom when the king had given them so much? How could they not bless others when they had been blessed so much? And so they sold a piece of land and they gave their money so that they could bless others that were struggling. They sold a house and they gave their money so that they could further the kingdom. And they began to live their lives together and to care for one another in a way that was highly unusual. And the unbelieving world took notice. And I assure you that the unbelieving world would take notice of a group of Christians today 
who made generosity ordinary. But we look at these sort of things as crazy. We look at these sort of things as stupid even. But what if that's supposed to be ordinary? Christians, we said that the action step for today is to generously support the mission of God. It might mean that you need to take steps this morning in your life. You might need to take steps toward tithing this morning. It's something that you've never done. You said, that's stupid. I would never give away 10% of what I earn. What if that's what God says that we're supposed to do? You might need to, to rearrange your finances or, or your possessions so that you can give like God's put it in your heart to do. God might be stirring in you to sell something or to give something away to someone. It might mean that God wants you to be generous in helping other people that are around you in your life. Are we just going to keep building bigger barns or are we going to make generosity ordinary? And so maybe you want to spend some time during this invitation at this altar or there in your seat in prayer about things that God is stirring within your heart this morning. There might be others here today who need to receive this gift of salvation from God. We said, where did they learn this? They learned it from Jesus, the one who gave his own life for you. He didn't have to do that. In fact, if there were people around, they'd say, that's stupid. Why would you do that? They don't listen to you. They go their own way. They've rebelled against you. They've sinned against you. Why would you care about them? Why would you give for them? But what we see is Jesus giving his very life, shedding his very blood to pay the price for your sins and for my sins and dying in our place. When he rose on the third day and walked out of the tomb alive, he showed that he's the son of God, that he's the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's giving to you, to me, to anyone who would call on him for salvation, forgiveness for our sins, and life and a relationship with God. And that may, might be the decision that you need to make in your heart today. And there's going to be leaders here across the front as we stand and sing in just a minute in this time of response. You saw Jordan in the baptistry earlier. This is a decision that he just made recently. There might be people in this room that need to make that today. And I want you to come and to receive this gift into your heart. But however God is speaking to you today, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, for the example that we see in this church. God, this is some of those verses that a lot of times we look at and we read and we go, wow, that was neat that they did that back then. That was just something that they did in the, in the New Testament. We're not supposed to do that. That's crazy. But God, may generosity be ordinary among your people. Lord, may hearts that that love like this be ordinary among your people, that we would care for one another, provide for one another, help one another in times of need. God, that we would be committed to the mission of your church and the mission of the kingdom and support it generously. 
Lord, may we hold our possessions with open hands and view them as a resource for your kingdom, as an opportunity to bless others. So God, do this work in our hearts this morning. Lord, we pray for anyone that might be here that needs to trust in you as their Lord and Savior to receive this gift, this free gift of eternal life into their heart today. Pray that they would come and call on you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.